No milk, no sugar? Right here. Thank you. No Milk, No Sugar, the podcast about business beneath the sweetener. Powered by Morales Group and hosted by CEO Seth Morales, we talk to local movers and shakers about what can be the harsh reality of doing business. We cover what no one likes to advertise, but everyone wants to hear. I'm Tori, producer of the show, and today we talk to childhood friend, legacy, and executive powerhouse, Kristen Mays Corbin, president and CEO of Mays Chemical. She's been a CEO for 10 years now one of the largest minority-owned companies in the state. At one point, you know, just her dad being very iconic in the community, one of the largest Black-owned businesses, definitely in the state, but if not in the country. I mean, he's pretty legendary in the Black community for entrepreneurs. He's probably the most successful Black entrepreneur since Madam C.J. Walker. Bill was, and, and still is, Maze is still kind of that iconic minority-owned business. And Kristen runs a phenomenal, large-scale company that's very, very sophisticated. So it's really cool to see her thriving, you know, post her, her dad. And, you know, she's sharpened herself, you know, just doing the IU undergrad, Kelly MBA. You know, she's, she's sharp. Being a CEO and leading in, in today's market, it's, it's, it's been a good challenge, I think, just with you know, running through a pandemic and leading and uh, thriving, that just idea of, of a CEO and, and balancing your life with a family, just you and I sharing kind of that, that legacy of, of family-owned business, what it means to, you know, can carry things forward and, and how you do that and how you're a steward of, you know, what Maze is, is built and uh, Morales Group. And then also want to kind of just have some fun and just think about you going forward and, and your legacy and how you're going to lead in the future and I know I haven't talked to you in like years. It's like, it's, I don't even know, like if we had a ton of conversation back in the day, but I like respectfully knew who you were. You were kind of hanging around some of my brother's friends at the time. And I was, I was kind of a secret admirer from afar. You were <laughs> uh, a touch, a touch, I think older. Did you go to Lawrence North? Nope. Central. It's been, it's been years. It's crazy how life kind of circles back and circles around. As as a young guy, I remember hearing a lot of, you know, just uh, great stories about your dad and how he was, you know, thriving as a business leader in the community and, and then seeing you um, as one of the, the older older kids that we looked up to. So I just remember being an admirer and, uh, you know, it, it is neat to see a lot of this stuff come full circle. And at the time, you, when you were kind of hanging out at Capstrano Court, my dad hadn't start the, started Morales Group. We didn't start until I'd finished up at Purdue. So we're still, we're still kind of a younger company. We started 18 years ago. So it's been interesting seeing this whole thing kind of play out. One kind of icebreaker we like to, to roll with is this. So, so this, since this is a show that's not about sweetener, it's all about kind of the real straight up black coffee. Can you tell us about a time when something straight up did not work, where you had a flop, a fail, you just, you dropped the ball? Like what comes to mind where if there was a, a business moment that you just screwed up, what did that look like? We had a big fail with technology back in um, in the year two, 
2000, Y2K, you know, it, it, it almost put us, put us out of business. We lost a good deal of our business. And I was, I was pretty new. I may have been here four or five years. Honestly, it was just, we made the wrong choice. We, we thought we went with a system that could do what we wanted it to do. And it was just so rigid. And then you, you make the decision, right? So you're, you're, you're married to the decision. And so then you kind of start throwing good money after bad. And we made all these modifications and the system wasn't doing what we needed it to do. It was just very difficult to get around. We were losing customers because things weren't shipping. We weren't billing right. We didn't know where anything was. I can remember one particular national account. We had 100% of the business in North America and and literally overnight, they pulled half of it because they said, this is not working for us. And, you know, we're trying to make it work, trying to make it work. Um, This was probably 2001 when we implemented. And we stayed with that system for about three more years. And it was one night late at night, I'm, I'm here working, trying to fix things and just trying to kind of jimmy rig things so they'll work better. And um, I looked at my ops manager and I'm like, there's gotta be a better way. And he's like, you know, he said, well, what about the system we were on? And I mean, and this is eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. And we just start like, literally Google searching our old system and, and kind of the, uh, some upgrades that they had put in. And, you know, we look at each other and we like, we're like, why didn't we go with this in the first place? And, you know, why didn't we get on their upgrade path instead of trying to go shiny and new? Um, and I guess that's the lesson that you learn is, you know, the newest thing is not always the best thing. Um, it was a very tough lesson for us to learn. We ended up going back to our old system, took another two, three years to get that software and implement that software and implement it right. But the efficiencies that we have so that, you know, if if you time it out, that's like 07, 08, by the time we really got it up and running. Very hard lesson to learn. And it, I mean, it was a total bomb. It was a total Eureka moment when we said, let's go back to this other system. But the lessons you learn is shiny and new is not always what's best. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to correct course on a decision that you made and kind of throw out the decision that you did make and, and come up with some new options. So very tough lesson to learn. We, we recovered and we recouped a lot of the business that we lost and then some, but I, it was a tough period for us. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. When you say shiny and new, there's always a, a a better upgraded version of something new out there. But it it's it's encouraging to hear that you guys were able to eat some humble pie, regroup and pivot back. And uh, it sounds like it worked out for you, but kind of tough lesson learned. You wore a lot of different hats early on at Mays when you joined. You, I, I looked at your profile on LinkedIn and look, reading a little bit about you on the bio, you, you've had different roles. You started off early on and, and just kind of moved your way up into the role of president and CEO. What was your favorite role and why when you, when you came in? Like what, what was something that really you enjoyed? Definitely customer service. That was probably the first role that I had full time. I had a bunch of side roles. So I did a, a little bit in HR and a little bit in accounting. I, I love accounting and I love numbers. Um, I'm very analytical, but really talking to the customers every day. And I had a high school uh, accounting teacher, um, Larry Neal, who used to always 
tell us when we were taking exams, hey, this is your opportunity to perform. And he, and he would like literally phrase what we were doing as if we were performing on a stage um, and we were actors and actresses. And, you know, so I, I equate that to customer service and doing that job because every time I talked to a, a customer, it, it was an opportunity to perform, opportunity to perform for uh, the customer, opportunity to show them what value we bring, opportunity really to to make their day better. And so when you add those little opportunities up day over day, month over month, year over year, you really, you feel good about leaving for the day. You feel like you solved a problem. You feel like you helped someone. Intrinsically, you cannot put a value on that. I mean, you know, a lot of the things that I deal with today as a CEO, they're longer range. So, you know, you can, you're in the, you're in the weeds and you're doing things, but you won't see the fruits of your labor for a year, for two years, you know, we're refinancing a credit line or, you know, we're looking at uh, opportunities to expand. You don't get that immediate feedback today. You'll get it, you know, a year or two years. And if you're lucky, you'll look back and say, yeah, that was a great decision or, you know, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that process. But that immediate feedback from just assisting customers that this, and so that's a entry level position for us. And I love to start people out there because there's nothing better than just feeling that. And, and I mean, sometimes you don't succeed. Sometimes you fail. Sometimes you're not able to, to make it all better for the customer, get them what they need. But, you know, again, it's an opportunity to perform and an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to see then what you can do better next time. Yeah, that's a great that's a great thought when you you share opportunity to perform. I never thought about taking an accounting test as an opportunity to get up on the stage, but it it is true. You you get opportunities to to show your worth and show how you can help add value to the business. That's a great I think starting off in customer service, I got I cut my teeth in sales for 7 years just kind of hitting the street and you know, it really is indicative of it, you either can sell or you can. If you can't produce then yeah, you, you figure it out quickly. So I, I love the customer service part too. Talk to me about, you know, going through as a leader, you've been with the organization for how long? How long have you been with Mace Chemical? Remind me again. Yeah. So I think it's 25 years. That's impressive. So 25 years, you've worn a lot of hats. You've been, you've been in kind of the C-suite president, CEO role for maybe 10 or, or getting close to that. Going through last year with the pandemic and COVID, what was something tough about being a leader, you know, last year? And then what did, what did you learn about yourself? Anything kind of just that pops out with 2020 or was it, was it all glam and fun and you guys rocked it and crushed it? Uh, (laughs) Again, it was an opportunity to perform. So, um, and, and I think that was an opportunity on the biggest stage because we literally sent everyone home and I was the only one in the office besides our operations folks. So I was accounting. I was customer service. And they were working remotely, but anything that they needed to do from this building or needed to happen from this building, I was the one in here. So it was really an opportunity to show everything that I've learned over the last 25 years about processes, about procedures, about, all right, we got a check run today. I need to make sure I pull those checks off and they get to where they need to go because people would print remote, but they would, everything would print at this building. And, you know, in the early days, it was, it was crazy. And it was only supposed to be 
a couple of weeks. So sure, I can handle this for a couple of weeks. I can answer the phones. I can route calls. I can, you know, get reports scanned in and emailed if they need to be, you know, that needs to happen. Grab checks off the printer, mail those out, um, you know, handle any HR records, any paperwork, uh, customer service wise, make sure that paperwork is in order. And it was really neat, honestly, to understand some of the challenges that people had just in their day-to-day jobs. And so it, it was very stressful. But at the end of the day, I think then we would we would review what we did. Okay, how can we make this process better? You know, do we need to get everyone printers at home? Will that help? How do we do, uh, you know, how do we fax from electronic documents rather than relying on old school fax machine? How can I make sure that you're getting that? You know, I mean, and so it was literally, we troubleshooted every day and then, all right, we're going to make this process better. And then, all right, now we're going to keep this when we come back into the office. Do we need to keep, I mean, that was what was both the blessing and the curse of COVID was we made ourselves better and we got to really dig into processes and say, yeah, that was okay for, for then, but we're in a new environment now. And so what do we need for that new environment? So, you know, and some things we, we looked at and we're like, why were we even doing it this way ever? A lot of lessons learned. And I also learned that I don't like to be in the office all by myself. Um, because I was literally here all, and I, w- I was the only one. Our, our warehouse folks were in the office. We were really trying to make sure that we kept people segregated. So um, we didn't have an outbreak and we didn't have, you know, to send a bunch of people home. I, the other thing was we have offices in several states and really when the states started kind of doing their own things with rules and regulations, you know, okay, so you could drive here. Well, in New Jersey, you can't drive. You could not be on the road. Well, okay, what do we need for our guys to be on the road to drive to work? Because we need for them to come into work. Okay, so we need some kind of permitting. So they if they're on the road and they get stopped, you know, and you think about nuances of doing businesses and business in several states. But I mean, it just had everything had to be heightened because it was so quick. You had to just literally make decisions on a dime and then they would change. You know, you would literally make a decision and then the president would come on and he would say something or the vice president would come on and say something or even our local leadership. And then it's like, okay. And we're still dealing with that. Like we had a memo all set to go a couple of weeks ago about mass policies. Well, and then they've, they've changed, um, you know, scrap that memo. Let's do this. Or let's see, what does the CDC say? How, how, you know, so that really fast paced decision-making again, opportunity to, to, to perform, but, um, but it was fun. I, I, you know, I have a great team, um, our leadership team, and we were talking literally every day we had, we went from, all right, let's talk once a week to twice a week to three times a week to, okay, we need to have, you know, just a 10 minute meeting every day to see what's changing, what's going on. And I'm not even saying anything about, you know, how the products in our industry were crazy. I'm just dealing with the the personnel and the office structure. So, you know, then we had products that were, you know, just products you couldn't get products that were going through the roof. I mean, um, isopropyl alcohol is one of our huge products. And obviously 
everyone was trying to get that to make hand sanitizer. Well, you know, during normal times, it's it's used for a plethora of other activity and manufacturing, but everyone's shifted to hand sanitizer. And so you couldn't get it anywhere. And when you found it, it was like liquid gold. So, you know, we had to have, a, we had a very good sourcing team, great senior management team. I mean, we, we, did really well communicating under pressure. And I'm, I'm so very proud of the entire team. You know, it didn't, it doesn't mean we didn't have bumps in the road, but, um, you know, when the, the devil was in the details and we did a good job, we think of really fleshing things out, talking over things and making decisions very quickly. Um, but decisions that were very effective. Yeah. Now this, this is good feedback. I, I think your, your, your theme of, opportunity to perform that that's definitely running through. You talked about getting back to the foundation and just figuring out, Hey, should we lean this out of the process? Does this make sense? Just kind of, you, you kind of, you went back to like grassroots of when you started and you were able to really kind of get gritty, roll up your sleeves. I love that too. We, we were doing a lot of that with the recruiting team, trying to figure out what's the best practice. How do we find people when we're working virtually? That's that's wonderful. I think so much, you know, as as leaders, you, you learn during this time, especially like 2020 and a little bit into this year, it's been a challenge for us. But let me ask you this, just early on as a leader, you take over in 2012 um, as president, CEO, dad had this legacy, you came in, you were a new leader. What, what was something, did you have any early mistakes early on as a new leader, the final decision maker? I'm sure that I did. And I'm trying to think of one that really comes to mind. I, th- I think what was a challenge, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll say this because this actually does come to mind. So it was a planned succession, right? He, he had always said, um, you know, if you, if you want to take over, uh, we'll, we'll put a succession plan together and, and we'll make that happen. And so that plan came together, but we had a very critical COO that when we executed that succession plan, I don't think we thought it all the way through. And he was a long-term tenured, very, very, I cannot stress how critical of, um, you know, a part of the team that he was. And again, he was really running day-to-day operations. And when we executed that succession plan, we, we kind of left him out there. And we did not really communicate the clear plan for his succession. And um, I don't want to speak for him, but I, I, I just don't think that felt very good, for lack of a better term for him. I don't think it hindered any of the training that he gave me. I don't think he did anything different. I think he, um, you know, helped me to the best of his ability be successful in my role. I just don't think we, we did that properly. I think we should, there probably should have been a time where we either had him transition to the CEO role um, officially, uh, and I say officially because unofficially he was, he was really doing a lot of the CEO functions. Um, we just hadn't changed the title. And so I think for just for continuity, as well as for his own edification and gratification, we should have done that. And I think we lost a, a an opportunity to have him leave the organization for a period of time um, and really make some some 
an impact on uh, how he would have led the organization. He's never said that to me. You know, we've never had that conversation. But when I look back at it, you know, I, I don't think there was any rush to put me in the CEO role. And I think I really could have learned a lot from his leadership style as being in a CEO role as I did with my dad. So that's probably a misstep. That's something that I regret a little bit. And that's not to say that I wasn't ready, but I just think there was, there was probably more to learn. Um, and, and I don't think we executed that great. Yeah, no, I, I, I can relate. I can relate a hundred percent. We did the same thing with our COO and, um, while the transition with my father and I worked out, the COO was on the outside looking in and felt um, left behind and um, didn't have a clear path of what was his his next step. And we could have handled that better. Um, I'm guilty of that. And I think my dad could have done a better job. We, we could have sorted that out. So I feel you on that one. That's interesting that you guys went through that same kind of um, challenge that the COO is, I mean, it's, it's a, it is the linchpin to kind of, they look in, you look out as CEO and they really run the day to day. So getting that right is important. I was going to ask you, Kristen, what was it like working with your dad? Your dad was this iconic business leader in the city of Indianapolis. He had this legacy, he created all these different um, business ties and he had other ventures. It was just, he was, he was well known. Like from, from me looking in, I was, I was an admirer of what your dad had built. But what was it like working with him just day to day, just in the trenches with your dad? It was fun. So again, 25 years, I don't know. It, there are some challenges with family owned businesses. So, you know, you, you when you think about a traditional job, you know, you, you go to work and then you go home and you get away from your boss and you get away from the work talk. Well, I would go to work and then I'd go home and you don't quite get away from your boss because it's your dad too. And so, you know, I'm over there on Saturdays and he's got me on the porch and he's running ideas by, or he's, you know, asking me what's going on with this. There was always pressure uh, just to understand. And my dad would, would say it today if he were here, you know, he always held me to this higher standard, which is fine. I, I love high standards and I love holding people to high standards because I think that they perform best when under that, under that pressure. Um, but you know, he, he was very dynamic and he was very generous. So, you know, you, you would, he'd have these guys come in or gals come in and they've got this, you know, this idea and they would make a pitch because my, my dad was very entrepreneurial. So, you know, in addition to the chemical company, um, he's a part investor owner in Great Eagle Golf and um, home development. And, you know, so he one day he took us out to this literally cornfield on 116th street and said, this is going to be all houses and it's going to be a planned golf community. And, you know, we're looking at them and it's gravel road and cornfields. And we're like, but dad, you don't play golf. You know, nothing about developing houses. Yeah. But my partners got all that. I got the best in the business RN Thompson and we're partners. And I mean, the way that deal came together 
it was just crazy. They're both sitting in a room. They're both bidding on the land. Why is my dad bidding on land? I have no idea. It was just speculative. He, you know, just saw that, uh, uh, you know, a patch of land was going up for sale and for auction. And he lived down the street and didn't know what to do with it, but just thought that, hey, this may have some value. So he and Aaron are bidding against each other. You know, and there, so there are people walk outside. Okay, we're just driving the price up for each other. Is there something that we can do to partner? You know, and it's kind of like my dad was like, because I have no idea what I want to do, but if you want to do something, let's do it together. And that was literally the beginning of a wonderful, not only business relationship, but a friendship. Aaron and my dad were friends until my dad passed away. And, you know, they learned so much from each other, just different styles of business and different, you know, business focuses. But they learned so much from each other, um, as well as, you know, just had a successful um, business venture together. But, you know, then there would be the guy who comes off the street and he has a business plan and he makes his pitch. And my dad is in there and my dad is like, okay, let's give him $10,000. And we'll see what he can do. And, you know, you're kind of looking and the the pitch is just the wildest pitch ever. And, you know, it's kind of like, why? You know, you're not going to make any money on this. And, you know, my dad would say, yeah, we're we're not going to make any money. That's not why we're doing this. We're doing this because if somebody believes in this person and they fail, they know they can do it again. So, yes, we'll we'll spend ten thousand dollars. But. You know, if it works, great. But if it doesn't work, maybe he'll go on and he'll do something else. And that's the way he thought about literally every investment. And it was mind boggling. Um, if you, if you're not entrepreneurial, cause you're like, oh my gosh, you're just throwing money out there. And, you know, he, he would say, okay, but we can afford to do that because we've been successful. So let's try to make other people successful. And I think that's, you know, the, the most frequent commentary that people come up to me and say about my dad is, you know, he, he believed in me. He, he. Um, gave me an opportunity to do something. He listened to my pitch. And, and, you know, oftentimes he would listen and then he would help and say, okay, well, have you thought about this? And, you know, I mean, it was literally a think tank and it would be, I would come to work every day and we would see that think tank going on. And so, you know, we try to do a little bit of that. Your comment about your dad and being generous and just, um, the entrepreneurial nature of what he did. It's scary how similar your dad and my dad are. My dad is very entrepreneurial and he oftentimes will put money on, on horses that I'm just like, what are you doing? What, who is this, this like crazy ass, like business plan. I'm like, dude, what this is, you're losing money. And he's like, listen, it's not, it's, he's the same thing as what your dad said. And uh, I think what's really special about my dad is, you know, he he's a, and his parents were tomato migrant workers. He came from, you know, nothing and he wants to give back. And so I think he looks at it as, as a form of generosity versus investing and getting that IRR or some sort of return. And I think it's interesting, like you and I, like you're a Kelly undergrad, 
business school, IU Bloomington, then you got your MBA, um, similar Purdue and then Notre Dame MBA for me. And I'm kind of like locked in. I want to tend, I want to manage the business the right way, but also want to make sure that we're making good use of, you know, the funds that we have. And so it's really interesting to kind of see kind of the differences and how at times there'd be a little bit of friction. Cause I'm like, dad, this is really stupid. Don't do that. But everyone loves my dad. Like he's just magnetic. He's just, he's this big brown teddy bear that just loves to hug people. And he just has this ability to be very generous and, and very helpful. And, uh, it's just, it, 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 the parallel pass is really crazy. Um, so let's see here. So we were talking about your dad. We're talking about legacy. Um, you shared about like, what, what was that like working with him? Was there any, um, what was really fun or what was a real challenge? Cause I, I feel like I can relate to you, but like what, what really pops out with, with you and your dad, like the high and the low. Again, I, and it's it's exactly what you just said. We would have knockdown dragouts on um, kind of ways to really advance the business. You know, I would want uh, I was more um, te- technology inclined. You know, he was more old school. My dad never operated with a computer, never had a smartphone. He had a flip phone until a day passed away. Um, you know, and, and he, 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 he liked technology and the thought of technology, but he never embraced using technology. And so I would, you know, I would want to go in, in certain directions and, um, you know, he'd be like, no, I, you know, I just don't, I don't think we need to do that. I don't think that's, um, the best money that we can spend, um, or I would really want to ramp up something and no, we're doing okay. You know, we're, we're, we're all right. And, you know, we'd have like employees that would be here and I'm like, Hey, I think we could probably get more bang for our buck if we had these types of employees. No, these employees have, you know, been here and we're going to keep them. Now we can hire more, but, um, or different employees, but we're going to keep these folks. And, and, you know, even if they're not optimal, we're still going to have them here because, you know, that's just what we do. And that's, again, that's, you know, what you love about a family owned business. And then what is, you know, gets a little frustrating for the MBA in me that is always like, okay, but optimize, 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 you know, we, we got to have the right amount of people and, you know, you do, do you want extra people? And, you know, my dad would always say, well, we can afford to have some extra people. It's okay. And it's like, no, um, you know, you, you just, sometimes I think you lose sight of, um, that you can be multifaceted and you can have, uh, the goal to optimize profits, but you can also have the goal to be, you know, a genuinely great place to work and treat your people, um, you know, the way you want to be treated. And you have to balance that as a CEO. Um, I think that's where, you know, publicly traded companies kind of, I don't know, they have a disadvantage because they've got to look at optimizing profits and they really don't have a choice um, because they're kind of a slave to the shareholders, if you will. Um, But we can do some different things. So, I mean, honestly, I think by the time I was put in my role, I think he was ready 
to turn it over um, and ready to see what new ideas I had and, and new directions I had. He would always tell people, yeah, I'm going to just let Kristen deal with that because, you know, that's nothing I want to deal with. And, and that was all, that was good because a lot of times you see family businesses don't succeed that transition because the owner and the founder is not ready to turn it over. So you have this, you know, this head, bumping of heads with, with ideas and with direction and strategy. And um, he was really good about kind of letting me chart my own path, even when it was wrong. And then, okay, let's see where we misstepped and let's go back and let's, you know, how, how are we going to fix it? So that, that was, that was really positive. Those are, those are really good thoughts when you share about how your dad and you had, there was, there was a balance, there was friction, there was some goodness with kind of the new school tech mindset and uh, the familial, let's keep on some extra headcount just because, you know, it's the right thing to do. I think, learning that kind of balance or that dance has been helpful for me as a leader, learning my dad's generosity, but not over-optimizing the business. Maybe there's a balance between the two and how do you do both well? And when you blend them together, you get a better product or a better um, style of leadership. And that's great. You know, seeing your dad um, having all this success and, and being one of those owners that relinquish control, you see a lot of owners that can't do that or founders and, um, I'm I'm fortunate to have a father who has given me a ton of latitude and um it's more, you know, when when we stub our toe or screw up here at Morales Group, he's one to not point fingers, but to just kind of listen and, and let me kind of figure the problem out. So um that's been really helpful. It's neat to hear that you're, you know, you had that that time with him. You had you had a, a, a good amount of time with him. Now you carry forward, you know, you've 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 led the organization for for quite some time now. Where do you where do you want to take it? What is the future? What does your legacy look like? You know, you you have your dad, but like, all right, that's great. But what's what's Kristen May's Corbett? Like, where are you what do you want to do? What what's your stamp look like? It it is heavily influenced by my dad. Um, honestly. Yeah when you grow up around something and you grow up seeing something, you know, and then, and then you live a little bit, you really see the good that, um, a business can do in the community. So we, we, we definitely want to continue to be a good community partner, support worthy causes. We have a Mays family foundation. We got up and running um, probably about 15, 20 years ago. Um, and we have, uh, several, uh, focuses um, that that we try to give to charitably. I love technology, um, and again, that was one of those things that my dad and I bumped head. But but I mean, I am just so amazed by you know how the Amazons of the world, you know all all of the the tech companies where you can that that make ordering the ordering process so seamless. I want that so much for our customers. Um, I want them to look at Maze Chemical and say, yep, they give me what I want when I want it. And it was so easy to order. And so, you know, eventually it will be something with technology and it will be something that um, really makes the the B2B process for us, um, just very seamless and very easy. I think that's 
that's my legacy. I don't, I don't necessarily need to be on the bleeding edge of technology, but I, you know, I, I, I want to be on the cutting edge. I want to, um, kind of refine our processes and make, make the ordering process and the, the whole dealing with maize chemical from, you know, sourcing to quoting to ordering to delivery. I want that to be very easy for our customers. I'm a distributor at heart. And so, you know, chemicals are very difficult to distribute, but I think there are some things that we could probably bring into the fold that are easier. So maybe some different division divisions like packaging, um, corrugate, um, you know, I, I think there are some other things that we can do with the facilities that we have here um, and knowing what our expertise is today. Um, just some some integrated industries that we could we could do that will help our customers as well. So that, that was well-rounded. I mean, great answer when you think about the community partnership and legacy that your your father built and carrying that forward. That's still a part of the secret sauce. And you talk about the tech spend and I hear your customer service kind of vibes coming out with being easy to work with. And then finally, the the vertical integration and having different um, value add to your customer. A lot of that makes sense. I think the same thing with us with recruiting. You know, it's kind of the the core of what we do, but uh, really kind of lifting lifting up this business to impact the community. So that's, I love it. It feels very holistic, but kind of 2.0 or 3.0. But it's it's kind of it's kind of basic though too, you know. I mean, it's not we're not setting the world on fire. We're not you know trying to, to come up with new products. It's it's just kind of the, the basic stuff. It's really neat to see the work that you're doing. It's going to be fun to watch you from afar as you go forward into the next you know decade into the 20s as we've weathered you know this 2020 2021 storm with COVID and how companies come out and are they stronger and did they invest and did they get better? And it'll be really neat to see how all this plays out. Um, you know, just being a, uh, a fan from afar, you know, asking you some questions, you know, on the, on the business front, talk to me personally, like, so family, um, any other business pursuits, like what, what, what's got you outside the office? We're, we're doing a partnership with IUPUI that is called the Mays Family Institute on philanthropy. So we are, um, really trying to understand and to help philanthropic ideals. And, um, so there are actually classes that you and, and a whole degree that you can get, um, from IEPUI on philanthropy. And so, um, with, that is a, a fledgling project that we have gotten off the ground in the last five years. Um, tri- really a tribute to both my mom and my dad who just were and are extremely philanthropic, um, not only with their time, but with their, their talent and their treasures. And, um, you know, we want to encourage other people to do that. Well, I, I appreciate you giving me time today. I've been, um, a huge fan. It's, it's, it's fun just to kind of download and see what you're doing and, um, I'm really just you and I, I think there's a, an affinity with, you know, father, daughter, father, son, just the legacy of running a, a business and trying to be a good steward of what, uh, they've built similar personalities and very larger than life, uh, charisma characters. But at the same time, it's really cool to see you putting your spin on it and building your family the right way. So keep it up. I appreciate your time. Absolutely.
what the one word I wrote down was there were a lot of parallels with Kristen and I, with our fathers and running a business and kind of the 2.0 era. And so I, I just felt like I could relate a lot. Having a family-owned business versus optimizing profits, she made a point there about blending those and balancing those as CEO, which I thought was really interesting. So, what, like, how do you feel about that as someone who's gone through it yourself? Yeah, the, she had she had great takes on that. You know, she she appreciated what her father ha- had built. Uh, he was a steward of the community. He was very philanthropic. At the same time, she knew that uh, for the business to continue to thrive forward, she had to put a little bit of a tech spin on it. And she's got her MBA like me. So there's a little bit of a optimizing, you know, being just a good steward of the finances. And so there was goodness like where she, she respected the past, but she was, she was not fearful to, to step into the future. And so I think she had a really good balance with honoring her dad and the legacy and the business that she, he had built. Mm-hmm. She mentioned, she mentioned that one of the blessings and the curse of COVID was they had to take a good hard look at a lot of their processes and it kind of brought a lot of things to light, maybe some cracks that they hadn't noticed before. Yeah. It's kind of like they got back to the basics. They cut out all the bullshit. Maybe there was there was too much standard operating procedures and you could get a little bit more, let's be simple, stupid about this and shorten this up. I saw it with our recruiting process. I felt like we kind of, we made it over complex. And then when we were able to flip and go to the virtual recruiting model, we cut out a lot of the fluff. So that, that's been, I think, a work in progress for us. Everyone, I think with COVID, everyone had a chance to clean their kitchen up so they can kind of get back to, all right, if we're going to keep on serving, we get a chance to clean this thing up, get it right, and then serve in a different way. And that's what we're doing right now. Oh, this is one that I really liked. I could relate. She talked about succession planning and how they kind of screwed that up. Their COO didn't have clarity of what her next or what his or her next step was for any any type of leadership, you know, especially like key executives. You got to get that succession planning right. And I think the key word was clarity, what their role and their clear objectives of what that role is going to be. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of No Milk, No Sugar, the podcast about business beneath the sweetener. We hope you learned something and we'd love to hear from you. Tag us with hashtag no milk, no sugar, or email us at no milk, no sugar pod at gmail.com or connect with Seth on LinkedIn. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next time.